Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. A playlist original. Just watch me. The medium is the message. Proof is approved. What kind of proof? It's approved. It has no core identity. Smashed potatoes are no gravy. You know what I'm saying? Speaking uh, moistly on them. Hello and welcome to Just Watch Me. I'm Kate. And I'm Liv. And today on the podcast, we're delighted to welcome Maggie Fritt. Maggie was a semifinalist on one of our favorite shows, The Great Canadian Baking Show. She has an incredible baking blog called The Magpie Cakery, which features recipes for treats ranging from health conscious to the most indulgent desserts you could imagine. She's also a recovered lawyer. Welcome, Maggie. Thanks. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here. So we, just before we started recording, we, we were all commiserating um, about our lives in the legal uh, <laughs> profession, but strangely enough, that's not actually what brought us together. What brought us together was our mutual love of Avril Lavigne. Um, Maggie and us were Instagram friends. And when we posted promoting our podcast about Avril Lavigne, she commented and shared the most incredible story about uh. her love of Avril Lavigne. So Maggie, would you mind sharing it again so that everyone can enjoy, um, enjoy the glory? of it yes well it's funny um my love for avril started a little later than most people's love of avril um it, i was in law school unfortunately but uh, yeah there was a contest that i entered to try to meet avril Lavigne. i unfortunately was 24 years old they were probably looking for you know, the 12 to 14 range but uh, there i was i popped out in a avril Lavigne, uh costume that I had made myself. It was pretty awesome. I still actually have parts of it that my son and daughter like to, uh, to wear at Halloween. When we get the <laughs> and I wrote an ode to Avril and I submitted it to the CBC to try to get uh, a chance to win, uh, to meet uh, Avril. And uh, it did not happen, but uh, I was able to have lots of fun doing that. So yeah, it's funny. I, um, it was really, you know, I was 23, 24, and she was really speaking to a much younger audience. So I don't really know what it was about her. I think, you know, I didn't have a lot of teenage angst. Um, I was kind of a conscientious student, athlete, you know, followed the rules, or at least felt badly when I didn't 
And I didn't really need an outlet uh, for angst until I was in law school. So maybe that should have been kind of a light bulb moment for me, realizing I wasn't exactly where I was supposed to be. And that light bulb moment came many years later. But I think that's why I just sort of loved her. I just loved the way she didn't give a shit what other people thought and uh, did her own thing. So I was, uh, I felt that she kind of spoke to me. I was just a lot older than her general audience. <laughs> and you really like, well, um, I don't know if we'll have your permission to post the picture so that everyone can enjoy in it, but it really is like iconic Avril with the the wristband, like the sweatbands and everything. Like you have it down to a T. It's like the perfect Avril Lavigne costume. <laughs> Pretty good. I thought I was very proud of that costume. I actually think I might have won or at least top three. It was a law school Halloween contest, uh, costume contest. And I think I might have come top three. I, I have to ask my husband, but I think I was top three. So yes, very proud of that costume. <laughs> we like to do things chronologically. I think we want to start by talking about your pre-baking life or um, I guess your pre-baking show life. Um, we mentioned that you are a recovered lawyer. We were commiserating about law. But if you could tell the listeners, how did you make the decision to leave law and start like baking? Yeah, well, and you know, it sort of happened in phases, but I, uh, you know, I've had a sweet tooth my whole life and I grew up baking with my mom in the kitchen. Um, my dad was a politician. My two older sisters went into the law, one as a lawyer, one as a police officer. And I sort of just found myself on a similar trajectory, not really stopping to see if it was something I actually wanted for myself. Um, and it wasn't until I was done law school and I was articling on Bay Street and I realized that, you know, baking was a real creative outlet and a stress reliever for me. And so I would sort of spend my lunch hours doing research on anything from macaron to croissant to ganache. And I quickly realized that practicing law was not my calling and baked treats were calling. So I um, quit my job about seven years ago now as a senior, pub uh, senior counsel for a book publisher in Toronto. And so I could spend uh, more time with my kids at home and you know show them that you should follow your passions in life and now I'm baker mom so that's uh, been what I've been doing for the last I guess I was practicing part-time for a few years so for about four years I've been straight up baker mom <laughs> and being a recovered lawyer is the best decision I've ever made in my life. <laughs> So when you made the transition, did you do any courses like where did you where did you really refine your skills? It's just in my kitchen. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I, I think I used all of my type A personality at the time and all my research skills that I learned in law school. And I really just cracked open the books. I have a mild cookbook obsession and uh, I have over 100 cookbooks, which I don't tell too many people, but I literally just read and read and read. And, you know, YouTube obviously was an option at the time, but for the most part, it's just from books and just practicing and doing it and you know, failing and trying again and having lots of mouths around me. I have a big blended family. So everybody's always willing to <laughs> try my treats if they're good or not. They are always willing candidates to help. <laughs> I started, I'm starting to collect cookbooks because I, I really, I really love them. And I love, I love baking from a book. I don't know what it is. Um, I had this habit of like cooking from my computer, which is just like so messy, but I like to like, I have it open and I, sometimes I like, like watch tutorials and things like that, but, but cookbooks is something that I'm kind of getting into. What are your, what are your favorite cookbooks? I know you have a hundred, but what makes your, and what makes a good cookbook also? Okay. Well, here's the thing. Oh, I love it. We should have a whole other conversation about this some other time. But so when I first started out, obviously you kind of have to know the science behind the baking. And that's, I think, why I love baking at the beginning, because I was 
still fresh out of, you know, type A personality, high stress, whatever, and figuring out the, you know, the nooks and crannies and all the reasons of the why behind the recipe. So when I first started out, that was, that was the focus. It was trying to figure out the science behind it and why things worked and why they didn't work. So I had, I have so many baking journals where I would write down, you know, why Martha, when Martha Stewart made a white cake, what, what she did when, you know, America's Test Kitchen did. So I had all these, and I still actually look at them when I'm making um, recipe testing for my blog, I look back at them, which is great. They're old and show me how type A I used to be, but um, <laughs> that's really where I started kind of figuring out how good recipes worked. So I think, you know, America's Test Kitchen for me, when I started out was a great place. Uh, they have a cookbook called, that's my little Bible, it's over there, but it's, um, it's called Baking. And it literally taught me a whole ton at the beginning. So, and I, you know, I subscribe to their magazine. I'm definitely love hardcover. So I'm either cookbooks or cooking magazines and stuff. So yeah, America's Test Kitchen is great for the why. And then, you know, you get into kind of experimenting a bit more. And um, I mean, Brave Tart, have you, do, you know, do you follow Stella Parks? So she no. has a great, a great cookbook called The Brave Tart. So she's sort of more new age, you know, twists on things like pop tarts or making your own um oreo cookies and kind of fun things that you know my, i made snickers bars like things like that that the kids love and kind of just twists on classics so yeah i mean i could i could go on for quite some time about the old cookbooks but uh, america's test kitchen for sure as a as a starting point absolutely and martha stewart i mean martha stewart i got my first cookbook ever was a martha stewart baking cookbook um, that i still have and i love so, so yeah, it's kind of the foundation people and, and uh, going from there for sure. And Martha's is there anyone... a great foundation for sure. I find when I'm like, if I'm starting to learn how to do something new, yeah. I, I often do start with something from Martha because yeah. I find it's very accessible. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. And I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but do you have a favorite Canadian um, baker or Canadian yeah. dessert? Well, I think Anna Olson is uh, always yeah. as well. So I've got, you know, three or four of her cookbooks up on my shelf. And uh, I love, I used to love her show. Um, she's got some great baking shows. Uh, I should actually pull some of those up. I had my daughters into all the baking shows. I actually don't think she's ever watched that. So I should, uh, mental note, I'll get her to watch the animals. But uh, yeah, she's, she's wonderful and also really great for, you know, Canadian content and um, always good recipes. I mean, there's never been a fail from one of her books. That's for sure. And that's the thing, you kind of get to know the books that you never, you know, if you're going to go to the trouble of baking something and you're going to indulge in something delicious, like you want it to taste good. You want it to be like a, a solid quality recipe that you're not going to go to all this trouble and mess of making and then it doesn't taste very good, right? So you got to find the ones that you're uh, always going to get a good recipe from. So those are good go-tos for sure. I wanted to ask you if you have this, do you have a go-to like bad day bake or bad day dish? Like when I'm having a bad day, what do I yeah. do? Yes. Yeah, what do you do? I make uh, the world's most delicious brown butter chocolate chip cookies. And they pretty much make- That's the correct answer, yes. <laughs> they make any crappy day pretty darn good. So yeah, definitely a cookie or, you know, it's funny, I love muffins. Like I am hmm. a muffin lady. It's a very strange thing because of all the things I make, I actually- love a muffin so if I'm having a really bad day and there's a bunch of brown bananas staring at me I know exactly where, where, what I'm gonna do and where I'm gonna be 
So I'm curious when, like how you were introduced to the great Canadian baking show, were you like an OG from the beginning? You loved it and you, um, applied before you, you know, you got on in season four, like what was your journey with this show? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I loved the great British bake off. So that was one of my favorite shows to watch. Um, my mom and I used to watch it together when she would visit. And I just love the way it kind of inspired people who, you know, you see somebody who could be your neighbor or your coworker trying to make a souffle and you're like, Oh, like I could, I could try to make a souffle. Like when would I ever think to make a souffle? Right. So I just love the way that the show kind of inspired people, normal people to get out of their comfort zone and, you know, feel the kitchen fear and bake it anyway. And so I really loved that show. And then when the CBC announced that they were doing a Canadian version, I was like, like mind blown. So I just, I was like a dog with a bone. I applied every single year and it was something that, um, you know, I, a goal that I set for myself and I just kept trying and trying and trying and got like, you know, three very sad no's until last year it became a super exciting yes. <laughs> it's funny that you say that about um, like ordinary people doing it because I watched the show actually with my boyfriend who's not usually into this kind of stuff and he does he doesn't bake he doesn't bake at all and as he was watching it he was like I wonder if I could do that right? he's yeah. like I wonder if someone gave me a recipe that I could do it so um so he so, like uh, boiled chicken like are you serious oh, yeah. like he like <laughs> he doesn't bake so I said to him okay this weekend we're gonna have a mini bake-off nice. and we're gonna see <laughs> <laughs> I want to see how it goes. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to post it. I'm like, I'm really curious. But it's true. It's like, because it is, it's normal. You know, you have to be an amateur baker. You can't have any experience in the kitchen. You can't have gone to any less, done any culinary lessons or schooling or anything like that. So it is just a bunch of people who love to bake. And, you know, I think that was the one of the big draws for me was like, I'm the baker. I don't have any friends who love to bake. So I would, the, the thought of, finding like-minded people who shared my passion, who would like not get nauseated by the, the amount of talk that I could keep going on and on about baking. Like, and they shared that same love. Like that was the, that was the draw. And, um, you know, to be able to, to really focus so much and for such a solid amount of time on something that I love to do, like, when would I ever get a chance to be in a tent emerged in like this crazy chaos and learning all the practice bakes that you have to do ahead of time. So yeah, it was, that was definitely the draw was, was finding like-minded crazy people like me. <laughs> and you mentioned that you, you got some sad no's before you got your eventual yes for season four, but can you tell us a little bit more about the casting process and what all going through all that was like? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was different last year because of COVID. Um, but in previous years, you would submit an online application, a really quite detailed, long application, you know, ended up being maybe five or six pages, single space. Like it was, it was no joke. Um, and then you waited and hopefully you got a phone call and then they sent out, um, previous to last year, they sent out invitations to go to a baking kitchen in Etobicoke. So all of the Ontario auditions happened in one place. So they were across Canada in different provinces, but they were, you know, so all the Ontario people would come to Toronto. There was um, an audition day in, I believe, Quebec City or Montreal and like all the way through and in Halifax as well. So then you would go to, you would bring a signature bake to the audition and you would meet, you know, 20 of your closest friends and there were I think four or five sessions each day over two days in Toronto so there was you know several groups of people and then you would have to do a technical quote-unquote bake 
in the midst of everything happening at the um, at the actual location. So they could see they could come by and kind of talk to you while you're baking and see if you got totally distracted or whatever and were able to talk while you baked. And then um, then you went home and you waited uh, and you waited and you waited and you waited. And then uh, two years I got the no email, which is they were so devastating really because it's you know you put this time and this effort and this hope and this trust in this like you know you throw it out to the universe and you you really um I don't know it was something I really wanted so when I would get the nose it was really hard I mean it was hard for my family it was hard for my husband because <laughs> he had to like deal with sad Maggie for a little while um and then last year it was obviously different because we couldn't all be together in a baking kitchen so um and I mean at this point they knew who the, you know, the regular people that applied every year. So Larry and Anjali and I had applied every single year. So they kind of knew who we were, but we again got the initial phone call to make sure we were still who we were. And then um, we had to have another phone call with just showing them a quick bake. And again, just, I think that was more for people that they didn't know quite as well. And then the last stage for the process was a um, Zoom bake along. So it was like a two to two and a half hour bake along in my own, in your own kitchen because it was COVID time. So it was a setup similar to this where there were, you know, three or four production people and the culinary producer and the, all these casting producers on your screen. And I had to bake a tough tatang in front of them. So it was uh, not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. It was uh, pretty intense. My kids, I think will never eat another tough tatang again for as long as they live for the amount of practice bakes I had. Um, and then again, there's a big long wait. So I was the, actually one of the first um, Zoom auditions for that year. And so I waited a really long time and you don't, it's just kind of radio silence, right? Until you, like, until you hear nothing, you don't hear like a no early on, you just hear the yes. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was over a month wait last year and it was really painful because this was going to be kind of my last kick at the can. I had put so many, so much effort and time and heart and <clears throat> blood, sweat and tears into this application process. I was like, okay, four years, if, I, if they don't want me this year, I got to kind of move on. So wow. And yeah. And, um, and then, then the hard, then the hard work started. <laughs> so that, that in retrospect was the easy part. And then all the, the rest of it came after that. So you yes. mentioned that about, <laughs> whether people could like talk while they were baking. That's one of my favorite parts of the show is like the very, very Canadian passive aggressiveness when, <laughs> especially when you're talking about like doing a showstopper and you have so much to do and the judges come around and you're like, yep, yep, really busy. What's your biggest concern? Just time, time is my biggest concern. Thank yeah, you. Totally. And you're just like, it's just so funny and overly polite and Canadian. Yeah, it's my favorite. Really right now, so yeah. come back later. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's funny though, that you talk about the rigor of the application process, because it's such a, like a charming, sweet show. You kind of forget how hard you've all had to work to get there. How hard you're working when you're there sometimes, to be honest, is like lost on the viewer because for mm. us, it's a casual Sunday afternoon. We're watching the show, but for, but you guys are running around like, with like headless chickens during the whole episode. <laughs> And you actually don't see it. I was surprised that they didn't show, like people are literally running, running, running around that tent and they don't show it too often. I thought there'd be like a whole blooper scene of me like jogging, people jogging and 
there's all these like grates with air coming up and like one I was total like <laughs> Marilyn Monroe like skirt coming up and like there's all these moments that don't get captured but yeah it's uh, it is definitely rigorous in there for sure. I do remember one where I, I don't know if it was you and Tanner or somebody, but they had opened the fridge to go put their food in. And maybe it was you or someone else was like, don't close the fridge. I'm coming. I yeah. I think it was Tanner. Yeah. That's I right. That. Yeah. It was so funny. <laughs> I felt like that was like cap captured the, the essence in that moment of the yeah. panic. There's no time for you to close it and for me to open it yeah. again. Keep it open. <laughs> exactly. The stakes are so high. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious in terms of, okay, so you, you got cast on the show. How much information do they give you to prep? Like, what does that look like for you? Do you know the weeks ahead of time? Do you uh, prep certain recipes? Um, what's, what's the prep? So there is, there's definitely prep. It's sort of, um, I mean, I'm sure it differs from year to year, um, but uh, they, they release the, the signature and the showstopper, you know, ahead of time, right? So you have the chance to practice that and um, I think it's largely because the culinary team needs to be organized, right? So they have all these bakers, all these bakes, all these ingredients. Imagine, right? Uh, especially that week one where there's 10 of us. Imagine figuring out what is needed for 10 people's three-tiered mirror glaze cakes. Like, come on. Like, that is like a lot of ingredients, right? So you have to... Um, figure out what, what it is that you need. And so that's a big part of the practice and the prep is getting all that stuff organized. So yeah, you had, you had time to practice like the earlier weeks you had more because they staggered the release of the information kind of over the course of the month before the show started. So uh, you had more time to practice, you know, say for weeks one to four than you did for the later weeks, but um, you, you definitely knew what they were ahead of time. Cause you had to get, it was a real well-oiled machine. The uh, culinary team is, they're amazing. I mean, the amount of, of coordination and um, all of that that has to go into that side of things, it's pretty, it's pretty outstanding. So they are, they were an amazing team and super organized and super helpful. So yes, we tried our best to keep them on our good side. <laughs> Although when I was constantly yelling culinary, I need another bowl culinary. I need another spatula. Like they were probably like, Oh my God, this lady, get her out of this kitchen. <laughs> so you mentioned mirror glaze cakes mm -hmm. and I wanted to to pause there because I think that for me, because I felt like he was so strong, other than yourself, of course, I think Oyak's leaving was so was hard. I was like, I was like enraged. Yeah. Um, and I just want to know, other than yourself, of course, because you were like, I mean, you were the, the last to leave, you're a semi-finalist, who was the hardest to say goodbye to? Oh my goodness, that's a tough one. It was that I think is impossible to answer because every I think because of COVID, I think the bond that we shared as a group was even higher than it and stronger than it was in years past because we were, you know, we had to leave, we couldn't come back home. So once you mm -hmm. left for the show, you were like, I was gone for six weeks and I was in this bubble with these people <clears throat> for six weeks, right? I mean, when in COVID, I don't even see my own friends, let alone make any new ones, right? So the fact that we were together, we were getting tested every four to five days and we weren't allowed to see any other people. So we had created, you know, a, a baker bubble. And so I think that's partly why we were so tight. Um, and I think that came across in the final episode when Rafi Cat won, it was such an amazing moment of joy. And, <clears throat> you know, to be honest, we were all extremely happy for her. I mean, even like I said this to my husband and I, even if I had had the honor to be in the finale and it was something that I really wanted for myself and it was a goal that I set, I would have wanted Rafi Cat to win because she was like, she is not only an amazing baker and I'm getting goosebumps. She is like the kindest human being 
I think I've ever met. She was just such a calming influence. She would come to my hotel room when I was in puddles, like to help me. And like, she's just, she is like the best person on the earth. So I think that, um, you know, I think that that was partly because of COVID, but to end, that was not answering your question, but to answer your question, <laughs> I think it was hard to see everybody go because we were such a tight knit group for sure. You've kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, for those who don't watch the show, this show and certainly the British counterpart is like almost poked fun at for how collegial that co- the competition is. Like people <laughs> honestly kind of make fun of just how kind people are to each other on the show, despite it being a competition of like, of a, you know, a fierce nature of like highly motivated people. Um, and you, it's very common for when you see people who are under the gun and like other contestants are coming to help them. And so you touched on this a little bit, but it's just for the cameras. Like, are you, are people really helping each other out? Does it feel like a team kind of in that way? Um, Because it really feels like the baking show is not just the best bakers. It's like the nicest Canadians they could find. Yeah, it is funny. I think, I think partly it has to do with the fact that there's no, um, I mean, I think partly it's because that's the nature of the show, right? That's the nature of the British show. It's the nature of the Canadian show. Um, I think partly because there's no prize money, right? And I think that it attracts a different type of competitor, right? It's not like people are looking to get on the show to make some quick cash because it's, you know, you get a plate. (laughs) So it's not about that. And I think that, you know, watching these other reality baking shows where it is about the money, I mean, I guess that's a, it sort of attracts a different kind of contestant, I think. Um, the people that are on the Great British Bake Off and the Canadian show, they're the people who just really love to bake and want to be surrounded by other people who really love to bake. So I think it just sort of, a that's just the nature of the show, I think, and it attracts those types of people. That's interesting. And I think it honestly, it's, it's kind of refreshing to watch that as a viewer because you see so many cutthroat shows and then, you know, when it's the 11th hour and someone's just got to like put the cookies on the plate, everyone comes running to help them. And it, and it is really nice. Like it's a different kind of energy than most shows. So, uh, um, I actually really like that aspect and the kind of people it brings. Um, but back to the recipes, what, um, what recipe was your biggest challenge? The ones that we knew of, yes. Um, well, you know what? It's funny. I think this the strudel. I love saying strudel. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> that was something that has been on my baking bucket list for many years. So to try that, and that was something we were able to practice, obviously. And uh, I loved. I actually loved making. It's it's literally like you're making doing laundry with your pastry. It's so awesome. So that was certainly a challenge, and it, it took many uh, test bakes to figure that out. And that was something I was probably the most excited to do for sure. One of my favorite things about this show is, I mean, of course you have these incredibly talented people on the show, but because it happens over several weeks, you really do see as a viewer, or at least it looks this way. um, And this could partly be because the challenges get more intense, but it really feels like you're watching the bakers improve over the course of the show. Um, Can you speak to, if so, like, is there a skill set that you developed during the show? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think part of the reason why, and I, I agree with you, I think that people do definitely progress as the show goes on. I think it's partly because they get more used to baking in the tent. And I think that was the biggest struggle for me week one, you know, the first time you're in that tent, it's like, 
it's, it's crazy, right? Because you spent all this time and energy to try to get to the tent and then you're in the tent and you're looking around and you're like, oh my God, I'm in the tent. And then you have to remember <laughs> that you actually know how to bake in the tent because it's not something you've ever done before. It's just something you've visualized for yourself for so many years. So I think that part of the progression is just being more comfortable with the surroundings. You know, you're using a different oven, you're using a different stand mixer. Um, you're getting more accustomed to having the time limit, um, you know, which is, a, which is a, a real struggle at the beginning and, I mean, and the end, but it, it is even more of a struggle at the beginning when you're really trying to, you know, when, when Anne and Alan are standing there 10 seconds left, you're like, oh my God, there's actually really 10 seconds left. It's not just a practice bake. So I think that towards the end of the show, you know, you get just more accustomed to that. But I do think, um, you know, you're obviously doing something very intensely for a very long period of time. And so, of course, you're just going to be better at that skill, right? It's, it's honing, you know, the skill of working through production chaos. It's honing the skill of just figuring out what it is that you're doing. So I think there's different progressions for different reasons. But for sure, I, I definitely felt more comfortable towards the end of my time in the tent than the beginning, for sure. And so to counteract that question, one of my favorite um, of your bakes was the, now I don't remember what it was called, but it was the three-tiered cake and it was botanical, it was the showstopper of botanical week. And um, it was just magnificent. It was so beautiful with the, um, with the flowers that you had done. You're so skilled at piping. I'm not even, I'm not, clearly I'm not a baker. I don't know all the correct terminology, but, um, (laughs) um, but I thought that that one was fantastic. And I'm curious if that one was your favorite, um, uh, or if you had a different one. Yeah. It's funny. I think actually I was asked that question the other day and that was the, my answer was that it was my botanical showstopper. I think uh, I love making buttercream flowers. So there you are, you pipe buttercream flowers and then the palette knife work. Uh, I also love to do it sort of, it's a very meditative um, process of painting the butter. I recommend it to everyone who uh, needs a little chill time because it's literally you're painting with butter and it, it, it's one of my very favorite things to do. And then the sugar paste flowers on the top are just, I love to work with kind of fondant and sculpt things. So that was definitely one of my top bakes for sure. Um, I also just love making, trying to make pretty things. So that week, I really loved that week for sure. Um, I think one of the other weeks that I really loved was bread week because I am not uh, a bread baker by any means. It was one of the things early on in the application process that I would have said was my least um, favorite thing to bake and the thing that scared me the most about actually getting into the tent. And that's when I started practicing and practicing and practicing and buying a few more cookbooks to add to the shelf about bread baking. Um, I think my biggest mistake was uh, buying a bread maker. I was super pregnant and I was standing in line to renew my license at Canadian Tire. And I saw out of the corner of my eye, this like flashing sign, Black and Decker, uh, bread maker on sale so I left the store with a bread maker and I was it was like the worst decision I could have made because <clears throat> making bread in a bread maker is not baking bread by any means you just throw a bunch of stuff in and you know whatever comes out is quite tasty but it means that you're not actually trying to become a bread maker <laughs> so I relied uh, on the old uh, machine to do it for many years and also I mean my kids eat a ton of bread so there was no keeping up with that so then when I finally I told myself it was actually two January it was after it was I was about to apply for the third time and I thought okay if I'm going to actually do this I need to figure out how to bake bread so I I tried I did a lot of research and a lot of practice bakes and I actually got pretty decent and so when I was in the tent 
and I did really well on bread week. I was like, Oh my God, I, I, I did not think I was going to do that. Well, I mean, Larry's like bread God. And I, there was no way I was, you know, going to, going to compete with that. But I was super proud of what, what I did that week. Um, you know, from the signature to the showstopper, I, my, you know, my Yankee doodle came to the mad hatter came to the tent, uh, bread hat at the end. I was super proud of that week. So I think, yeah, bread week showstopper and botanical showstopper would probably be two of my favorite bakes. What's your favorite kind of bread? Brioche is uh, pretty awesome. Although it's hard to uh, beat. It's hard to beat. I also, along with the rest of the world, started a sourdough uh, starter at the beginning. Of course. Of so, right? It's the but law. It is the law, right? As it should be. I mean, you've got no, nothing else to do. You may as well make some bread. <laughs> so that's been actually pretty fun to try to figure that stuff out. And I have definitely called Larry on more than one occasion. <laughs> my my sos uh, my bread hotline <laughs> has he made you anything any done any woodworking for you oh my goodness yes i have the most <laughs> beautiful i have can, well i'll show you after. i have he made everybody when we came back for the finale he had made everybody a cookbook holder actually do you want me to show you yeah yeah <laughs> it's just right here a cookbook holder that's perfect that is so thoughtful it's so nice so here it is look at this he like totally Come on. It's beautiful. Right? Very nice. It's like gorgeous. I know. So yeah, he made everybody a cookbook holder and brought it back from, <laughs> from Edmonton. I'm like, oh my God, Larry. I guess he wasn't traveling with Brie that time. So he could have had an extra, some extra space. for the. Oh yeah. He made his own Brie. I forgot about that. <laughs> yep. Sure did. I was going to say, so do you guys have like a group chat now where you just like ask all your baking questions? You're like, I'm doing this today. What do you guys think? <laughs> yes, we have a, um, we have, we are in touch every single day. So we have a WhatsApp group oh. chat. Sometimes I wake up to like 75 messages of like, Oh, what did I miss? So yeah, we're in touch every day for sure. That's so sweet. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. That's amazing. Um, I'm interested to hear about your blog. Mm. When did you start that? Well, it's an interesting question. So I started it uh, about eight years ago. I've been paying for it for eight years and I only recently started putting things on it. Um, my best friend and my mother knew it existed. And I think they, I had two or three recipes that they, my mom would see, oh, I need that granola recipe. And then I'm, so she was, she and my best friend were the only ones that ever went to the blog to actually look for anything. <laughs> uh, and it was something I promised myself that I was going to kind of get over my fear of putting myself out there. And, um, now I'm actually posting to it. So yeah, it's something I've been wanting to do for a really long time. And, um, you know, for one reason or the other, my, my youngest just started kindergarten in the fall. Although now they're all home again, which is another story. But uh, mm -hmm. so I actually had some time um, to, because, you know, it takes time to test recipes and figure out what you're going to do and, and take the photos and get it all up there. So, yeah. So I'm really excited about that going forward for sure. And I saw that you also have some virtual cooking classes. Uh, what, what's, what's all that about? Where can people sign up? Well, it's, yeah, this is sort of something that's more recent. So, I mean, I've been baking kind of custom cakes and stuff for friends and friends of friends for years. And I realized that, I mean, they take a lot of time, right? Custom cakes take a lot of time and not everybody is, is willing or able to pay for what it's actually worth. So I was trying to kind of figure out another route to figure out if I can make this actually a sustainable business. And I started reaching out to my old contacts at law firms. So I now I'm doing kind of virtual corporate events for different law firms and banks, which is hilarious because it's total full circle moment. Um, I have a uh, cake pop 
uh, virtual event on Thursday with um, a trading floor on a bank. So then they put together a corporate client event and I'm going to be hosting uh, some uh, bake-offs. So yeah, so it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm sure they That's need fantastic. it. I think cooking, cooking and baking both are, are very meditative and yeah. very mindful activities. I'm sure the, the corporate folks can benefit from it for sure. sure. And I've been doing like birthday parties. So Zoom uh, cake decorating and parties for little kids, which is lots of fun. So that's so fun. Yeah, I did 17 little girls a couple of weeks ago and uh, we did a three-tiered mini cake with unicorns and rainbows and all the good stuff. So it was lots of fun. I'm interested in the recipe testing process. Um, can you tell me a little bit about like how long, I mean, I'm sure you've been kind of honing recipes for a long time, like many of us do who cook and we, you know, it probably starts from something and then the way you do it ends up, ends up being quite different. And you, you kind of realize like after years, like, oh, this is kind of my recipe now. It's very, it's very satisfying. But when you deliberately develop a recipe for your blog, you know, what's, what's the process there from kind of beginning to, to the blog posts, let's yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously still learning. Um, and prepping for the show was the impetus to try to figure out because you have to bring your own recipes. And, you know, like you said, I've sort of had recipes over the years that I have kind of made into my own, but to actually intentionally set out to create a recipe, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of research, which I think is why I, I love doing it. And it's kind of like, I was talking about my baking journals before. So it's sort of figuring out the whys behind a successful recipe and then tweaking it to to kind of meld with where you want the recipe to go. So there's, you know, depending on what it is, I mean, obviously the, um, cause my approach to baking is kind of a healthy treat and indulgent eat. I mean, if in my motto and in my life, it's like, if you're going to have an indulgent treat, make it the best damn cake you've ever eaten or the best damn pie you've ever eaten. Right. Cause then it's like, it's worth it. Right. If, if you're going to indulge, make it worth it, make it count. And then in, on the other days, you're going to have a balanced approach to treats and you're going to make a healthy-ish alternative that doesn't taste like cardboard. So in my house, we eat a lot of healthy bakes during the week. And then we kind of, you know, if you're going to do it, you go balls to the wall, get her done. So uh, we do the indulgent treats, obviously very regularly as well, but you balance it out with some healthy treats. So I think the healthy treats are a bit easier to kind of come up with um, recipes from scratch because it's just, you know, you're, figuring out what you like to eat and how, what tastes good. And then for the indulgent bakes, it's a little trickier because they're classic recipes for a reason. And so you're starting from a recipe that you've used for years and years and years, and you're trying to like tweak it and, and make it your own, but also stay true to the foundation of that recipe. So I find that the, the indulgent recipes are a bit trickier to kind of test and, and to revamp than the healthy treats, which are usually just made up from scratch, so. I'm not sure if that answered your question, but <laughs> no, it did. And I'm interested about um, like the photo and, and the marketing and stuff. How have you enjoyed doing that part of the blog? I mean, I love, so that's sort of something that's kind of come up in the last maybe year or two. I, I did a, I attended a photo um, photography workshop with uh, Betty Binion from Stems and Forks. Do you follow Stems and Forks on Instagram? You no, I don't. She is outstanding. She's like the most amazing photographer, artist, uh, storyteller. She's awesome. So right before COVID hit, I did a weekend with six women and these, it was so funny. I've been, she does these workshops, maybe two workshops a year. And I had missed out on a few previous ones. And it was a Sunday evening. And I just started looking at Instagram. My kids were asleep and it was, she had just posted because she only takes six or seven people. And so right away I was like, oh my God, 
did I make it? Did I make it? Because I could see when she'd actually posted it. And I was lucky enough to have, you know, been there at the right time. And I got into this workshop and it was honestly, it was, it was life-changing because it actually made me kind of think about my photos in a different way. And I had been wanting to make the photos, you know, better and, and figure that stuff out. And I just didn't really, I was really getting in, in my head and didn't really know what to do. And so this, this two-day workshop, I met other amazing women who were trying to do the same thing and kind of trying to tell the story through their photos and that was really a, a game changer. So yeah, I've been really, I've been doing a bunch of photography um, courses online. I've been trying to, um, you know, figure out and hone that skill. It's, it's really hard because from the recipe to the, to the baking, to the photography, to the blog writing, it's a long process. So I'm trying to, you know, streamline some things and, um, you know, figure out some bulk shoot days where I can get more than one thing. But it, you know, I have three kids too, so it's it's a bit tricky to fit it all in. But I'm doing my best, trying my best. <laughs> in terms of what's next for you, my my mom in particular was really curious if you were ever going to write a cookbook. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's a dream. I mean, that would be the ultimate dream. I would love. Um, you know, I worked for a book publisher, so I know that it's a long difficult process. So I'm, I'm realistic about it, but yeah, I mean, that would be the ideal end game here. It would be to, you know, have people try my recipes and kind of jump on board the balanced baking approach to, to treats, right? It's not, it's not like an all or nothing. And I think a lot of times people kind of view desserts as all or nothing. And I really truly don't believe that it has to be. I think that it can be, there can be a balanced approach, right? Like there is to everything else. You, you have some some healthy days and you have some not so healthy days but in both instances you make it count and you make it worth whatever you're eating so i think that if if people get on board with that philosophy and you know it's kind of like a my blog is sort of a one-stop shop for all your baking needs if you're feeling like you've been you know eating uh, all the halloween leftover treats uh, for a few too many uh, days and you have a healthy treat if not you're gonna you know make one of the indulgent treats so if i could get enough people that would you know agree with me that that's the way you should be eating then yeah I would love to have a cookbook one day for sure I love that approach and I think I always say I eat dessert with every meal which I don't mean I eat a treat with every meal but like sometimes maybe this is psychological but I I have something sweet after most meals sometimes I have an apple at the end of my breakfast but like or sometimes my dessert is like a piece of mango but I don't know there's no reason not to have like something that's delicious after even Absolutely. most meals, because there are lots of things that are delicious and, and wonderful for you, but yeah, absolutely, I love that approach. Yeah. And I mean, you know, life is too short not to indulge every once in a while. And it's not like it's diet baking. I mean, it's the farthest thing from that. So it's, it's just more wholesome. Like, you know, I, I cook with a lot of nuts and dates and, you know, unrefined things. And my kids, they, they, often don't know the difference or they'll ask for this, the healthy things. Like my youngest daughter, she thinks that energy balls are like Timbits. She will eat, she will pound <laughs> those back. Like there's no tomorrow. Right. So it's just kind of introducing healthy flavors that taste good too. Right. Um, so start them young. <laughs> so are your kids getting in the kitchen with you a lot? Yeah. Well, my, uh, my middle daughter who just turned nine, she, Oh my goodness. She is total baking aficionado. I wake up and she's watching like the most obscure baking shows. I'm like, what are you watching? <laughs> and figuring out all these ideas of things that she wants to bake with me. So yeah, she has a baking wish list and we pick away at it. And uh, yeah, she loves to bake with me for sure. 
And the youngest Did one- Did they watch you? Oh, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say my youngest basically just, you know, looks for any bowl that she can lick or anything that she can taste test. And that's sort of my son's approach too. He's like, what do you make? What do you make? Is there something I can, he asks for before overs. So not the leftovers, but the before over. <laughs> that's very cute. That's adorable. So did they watch you on the show? What was their reaction to seeing you on TV? Yeah, they sure did. That was a stressful six weeks. I'm not going to lie. It was, um, I mean, we all, obviously they knew the results. So because they're in my family and they had to know, they knew when I came home. And I mean, it it was very difficult for them to keep a secret. I think my daughter particularly, uh, she's just turned nine and she cannot keep a secret to save her life. So she used every ounce of her being to keep this a secret. And she did a, such a good job, but she was so stressed out about like, That's so her cute. friends were excited and, you know, like her teachers were asking her and she, you know, just the stress of it all was almost too much for her to handle, but she's like the CBC lawyers, they're going to come for me. <laughs> yes, I'm nine. Right. I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> that's right so yeah it was um it, it was funny watching with them it was exciting and I mean the whole when I found out that I was on the show yeah that was such an amazing moment they the producers call you and um they actually pretended that they had some holes to fill in the application process and they had to answer a few questions so I was down in my baking kitchen and I took the call by myself and then she <clears throat> surprised me and she's like I, oh I have it written down here that you're going to be baking in the tent on season four. And I lost my mind. Like I lost my mind, started screaming. And I I asked if the kids could come down. So they all came down and they were, you know, part of that moment. My youngest had no idea what was happening, but everyone was so excited. And, you know, thankfully for them, because I needed, everyone really took one for the team. I mean, my husband, especially, but even my kids, like it was a throwback to the eighties. Like they basically took care of themselves all last summer <laughs> while I was like, <laughs> practicing. And, and then when I was away, you know, my <clears throat> husband, you know, works a ton and took care of the three kids got, you know, my daughter started JK, my son started grade seven at a new school and I missed it all. So he, it was, everybody kind of took one for the team. So watching it back with them was really special and also extremely stressful. <laughs> So Maggie, where can people find you and follow you along your baking journey? Yeah, I mean, I guess Instagram is probably the the best spot. It's uh, where I kind of post to first and there's a link to the blog in my bio. I waited many years to say link in bio. So that was a fun moment when I actually (laughs) linked the website to something. (laughs) But yeah, Instagram and then um, my Instagram handle is at the Magpie Cakery and my website is themagpiecakery.com. So pretty much there it is. <laughs> Perfect. If anybody needs a, a cake ball workshop on the trading floor of a bank, you know where to that's go. Right. You guys, you guys need it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure to have you. And, um, we'll, we're going to link all of your stuff at our, um, Instagram and on Twitter at, uh, just watch me pod and send us an email to tell us how much you loved Maggie. And, um, you know, let's start a petition to get your cookbook. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. All right.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.